The Mystical City of God, The Incarnation, Book 4, Chapter 13. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda, describes how the Most Holy Mary was informed of the will of the Lord, that his only begotten Son be circumcised, and she confers about it with Saint Joseph, and the Most Holy Name of Jesus is brought from heaven. 513. From the moment the most prudent virgin found herself chosen as the mother of the divine word, she began to ponder upon the labors and sufferings in store for her sweetest son. As her knowledge of scripture was so profound, she understood all the mysteries contained therein and she began to foresee and prepare with incomparable compassion for all that he was to suffer for the redemption of man. This sorrow, foreseen and expected with such a full knowledge of details, was a prolonged martyrdom for the most meek mother of the sacrificial Lamb of God, Jeremiah 11:19. But in regard to the circumcision which was to take place after the birth of the child, the Heavenly Lady had received no command or intimation of the will of the Eternal Father. This uncertainty excited the loving solicitude and sweet plaints of the tender and affectionate mother. Her prudent foresight enabled her to conjecture, that as her most holy son had come to honor and confirm his law by fulfilling it and as he had moreover come in order to suffer for men, he would be constrained by his burning love and by other motives to undergo the pains of circumcision. 514. On the other hand, if possible, her maternal love and compassion longed to exempt her sweet child from this suffering. Moreover she knew that circumcision was a rite instituted for cleansing the newborn children from original sin, whereas the divine infant was entirely free from this guilt, not having contracted it from Adam. In this hesitation between love of her divine Son and obedience to the Eternal Father, the most prudent virgin practiced many heroic acts of virtue, unspeakably pleasing to His Majesty. Although she could have easily escaped this uncertainty by directly asking the Lord what was to be done, yet being as humble as she was prudent, she refrained. Neither would she ask her angels, for with admirable wisdom, she awaited the opportune time and occasion, assigned by divine providence for all things, and she would not presume curiously to search or pry into his decrees by consulting supernatural sources of information, especially in order to rid herself of any suffering. When any grave and doubtful affair arose, in which there was danger of offending God, or some urgent undertaking for the good of creatures, in which it would be necessary to know the divine will, she first asked permission to submit her petition for enlightenment regarding the divine pleasure. 515. This does not conflict with what I said in chapter 10 of the second book, namely, that the Most Holy Mary undertook nothing without asking permission and counsel of God, for this consultation concerning the divine pleasure was not coupled with the desire for special revelation. In this as I have said, she was most discreet and timid, rarely asking for such extraordinary intervention. Without aspiring to new revelation she was in the habit of consulting the habitual and supernatural aid of the Holy Ghost, who governed and guided her in all her actions. In directing her faculties by this interior light, she perceived the greater perfection and sanctity open to her in the affairs and transactions of everyday life. Although it is true that the Queen of Heaven possessed special claims and rights to be informed of the will of God in different ways, 
yet as she was the model of all sanctity and discretion, she would not avail herself of this supernatural order and direction, except in such cases as were appropriate. As for the rest she guided herself by fulfilling to the letter the words of David. As the eyes of the handmaid are on the hands of her mistress, so are our eyes unto the Lord our God, until he have mercy on us. Psalm 122 verse 2. But this natural and ordinary light in the mistress of the world was greater than that of all the mortals put together, and in it she sought the fiat of the divine will. 516. The mystery of the circumcision required a special and particular dispensation, it demanded a separate enlightenment of the Lord, and for this the prudent mother was waiting. In the meanwhile, addressing in these words the law that required it she said, O law, made for all, you are just and holy. But you do afflict my heart by your hardness, if you are to wound him who is your life and your author. That you should inflict your sufferings upon those, who must be cleansed of guilt is just. But that you should visit with your severity the innocent, who is without fault, Hebrews 7.26, seems the excess of rigor unless his own love concedes this right to you. Oh would that it might please my beloved to exempt himself from this punishment. But how shall he refuse to undergo it, since he came to seek pain, to embrace the cross, to fulfill and accomplish the law, Matthew 5.27. O cruel knife! If you could direct your attacks upon my own life, and not upon the Lord, who gave it to me. O my son, sweet love and light of my soul, is it possible that you so soon shall shed your blood, which is more precious than heaven and earth? My loving compassion inclines me to hold you exempt from the common law, from which you are excluded as its author. But the desire to fulfill it urges me to comply with it, leaving you a prey to its rigor, unless you, my sweet life, are willing to change the decree and punish me instead. The human nature, which you have from Adam, my Lord, I have given you, but without its fault or guilt, since in your omnipotence you have preserved it among all the rest from original stain. Since you are the Son of the Eternal Father and the figure of his substance, Hebrews 1 3, and since your generation is eternal, you are infinitely removed from sin. Why then, my Lord, should you subject yourself to the remedy provided for sin by the law? Yet am I aware, my son, that you are the teacher and redeemer of men and that you must confirm your precepts by the example, you will not yield the least point in this matter. O Eternal Father, let the knife now lose its sharpness and the flesh its sensitiveness. Let pain descend rather upon me, an insignificant wormlet. Let your only begotten Son fulfill the law, but let me alone feel the punishment. O inhuman and cruel sin, which so soon offers the gall to him, who cannot be guilty of thee. O sons of Adam, abhor and fear sin, which, for a remedy, demands bloody punishment of the Lord and God himself. 517. Such grief of the sorrowful mother, was mixed with the joy of seeing the only begotten of the father born of her and resting in her arms, and thus she passed the days which remained before the circumcision, being faithfully attended by her most chaste spouse Joseph. 
To him alone she spoke of the circumcision, yet only in few words and mixed with the tears of compassion of them both. Before the eight days after the birth were completed, the most prudent queen placed herself on her knees in the presence of the Lord and thus addressed him. Highest King, Father of my Lord, Ephesians 5 2. Behold here your slave with the true sacrifice and victim in her arms. My sighs and their cause are not unknown to your wisdom, Psalm 37.10. I know, my Lord, what according to the law is your pleasure and what should be done with your son. If by suffering much more rigorous pains I can rescue my son and God, my heart is prepared. But I am likewise ready to see him submit to circumcision, if that is your will. 518. The Most High answered her saying, My daughter and my dove, do not let your heart be afflicted because your son is to be subjected to the knife and to the pains of circumcision. I have sent him into the world as an example, that he put an end to the law of Moses by entirely fulfilling it. Matthew chapter 517. Though it is true that the habitation of his humanity, which you have given him as his natural mother, is to be violated, and his flesh wounded together with your soul, yet remember, he is my natural son by an eternal generation, Psalm chapter 2-7, the image of my substance, Hebrews chapter 1-3, equal to me in essence, majesty and glory, and by thus subjecting himself to the sacramental law freeing from sin, John chapter 10.30, without letting man know that he is exempt therefrom, he suffers also in his honor, 2 Corinthians 2.21. You knew beforehand, my daughter, that you must reserve your only begotten and mine for this and other greater sufferings. Resign yourself then to the shedding of his blood and willingly yield to me the first fruits of the eternal salvation of men. 519. To this decree of the Eternal Father the Heavenly Lady, as the co-operatrix of our salvation, conformed herself with such a plenitude of all sanctity as is far beyond human understanding. With complete and most loving obedience she offered up her only begotten, saying, Supreme Lord and God, I offer to you this victim and host of acceptable sacrifice with all my heart, although I am full of compassion and sorrow that men have offended your immense goodness in such a way as to force a God to make amends. Eternally shall I praise you for looking with such infinite love upon your creatures and for preferring to refuse pardon to your own Son rather than hinder the salvation of man. Ephesians 5 2. I, who by your condescension am his mother, must before all other mortals subject myself to your pleasure and therefore I offer to you the most meek lamb, which is to take away the sins of the world by his innocence, John 1.29. But if it is possible to mitigate the pains caused by this knife at the expense of suffering in me, your arm is mighty to effect this exchange. 520. Most Holy Mary issued from her prayer and requested St. Joseph to take the necessary steps for the circumcision of the Divine Infant. With rarest prudence she avoided telling him anything of what she had been told in answer to her prayer. 
She spoke as if she wished to consult him or ask his opinion in regard to the circumcision, saying that the time appointed by law for the circumcision of the child had arrived and since they had not received any orders to the contrary, it seemed necessary to comply with it. They themselves, she said, were more bound to please the Most High, to obey more punctually his precepts, and to be more zealous in the love and care of his Most Holy Son than all the rest of creatures, seeking to fulfill in all things the divine pleasure in return for his incomparable favors. To these words St. Joseph answered with the greatest modesty and discretion, saying that as no command to the contrary had been given concerning the child, he wished in all things to conform himself to the divine will, manifested in the common law. That although as God the incarnate word was not subject to the law, yet he was now clothed with our humanity, and as a most perfect teacher and savior, no doubt wished to conform with other men in its fulfillment. Then he asked his heavenly spouse how the circumcision was to take place. 521. The Most Holy Mary answered, that the circumcision should be performed substantially in the same way as it was performed on other children, but that she need not hand him over or consign him to any other person, but that she would herself hold him in her arms. And because the delicacy and tenderness of the infant would make this ceremony more painful to him than to other children, they should have at hand the soothing medicine, which was ordinarily applied at circumcision. Moreover, she requested St. Joseph to procure a crystal or glass vessel for preserving the sacred relic of the circumcision of the divine infant. In the meanwhile the cautious mother prepared some linen cloths to catch the sacred blood, which was now to be shed for the first time for our rescue, so that not one drop of it might be lost or fall upon the ground. After these preparations the heavenly lady asked St. Joseph to inform the priest and request him to come to the cave, without the necessity of bringing the child to any other place, he might as a fit and worthy minister of so hidden and great a sacrament, with his priestly hands perform the rite of the circumcision. 522. Then Most Holy Mary and Joseph took counsel concerning the name to be given to the divine infant in the circumcision, and the Holy Spouse said, My Lady, when the Holy Angel of the Most High informed me of this great sacrament, he also told me that your most sacred Son should be called Jesus. The Virgin Mother answered, This same name was revealed to me when he assumed flesh in my womb, and thus receiving this name from the Most High through the mouth of his holy angels, his ministers, it is befitting that we conform in humble reverence with the hidden and inscrutable judgments of his infinite wisdom in conferring it on my Son and Lord, and that we call him Jesus. This name we will propose to the priest, for inscription in the register of the other circumcised children. 523. While the great mistress of heaven and Saint Joseph thus converse with each other, innumerable angels descended in human forms from on high, clothed in shining white garments, on which were woven red embroideries of wonderful beauty. They had palms in their hands and crowns upon their heads and emitted a greater splendor than many suns. In comparison with the beauty of these holy princes all the loveliness seen in this world appeared repulsive. But preeminent in splendor were the devices or escutcheons on their breasts, on each of which the sweet name of Jesus was engraved or embossed. 
The effulgence which each of these escutcheons emitted exceeded that of all the angels together, and the variety of the beauty thus exhibited in this great multitude was so rare and exquisite as neither human tongue can express nor human imagination ever compass. The holy angels divided into two choirs in the cave, keeping their gaze fixed upon the king and lord in the arms of his virginal mother. The chiefs of these heavenly cohorts were the two princes, St. Michael and St. Gabriel, shining in greater splendor than the rest and bearing in their hands, as a special distinction, the most holy name of Jesus, written in larger letters on something like cards of incomparable beauty and splendor. 524. The two princes presented themselves apart from the rest before their queen and said, Lady, this is the name of your son, Matthew chapter 121 which was written in the mind of God from all eternity and which the Blessed Trinity has given to your only begotten Son and our Lord as the signal of salvation for the whole human race, establishing him at the same time on the throne of David. He shall reign upon it, chastise his enemies and triumph over them, making them his footstool and passing judgment upon them. He shall raise his friends to the glory of his right hand. But all this is to happen at the cost of suffering and blood and even now he is to shed it in receiving this name, since it is that of the Savior and Redeemer. It shall be the beginning of his sufferings in obedience to the will of his Eternal Father. We all are come as ministering spirits of the Most High, appointed and sent by the Holy Trinity in order to serve the only begotten of the Father and thy own in all the mysteries and sacraments of the law of grace. We are to accompany him and minister to him until he shall ascend triumphantly to the celestial Jerusalem and open the portals of heaven. Afterwards we shall enjoy an especial accidental glory beyond that of the other blessed, to whom no such commission has been given. All this was witnessed by the most fortunate spouse Joseph conjointly with the Queen of Heaven. But Joseph's understanding of these happenings was not so deep as hers for the mother of wisdom understood and comprehended the highest mysteries of the redemption. Although St. Joseph understood many more mysteries than other mortals, yet he did not penetrate them in the same way as his heavenly spouse. Both of them, however, were full of heavenly joy and admiration, and extolled the Lord in new canticles of glory. All that they experienced in these various and wonderful events surpasses human language, and certainly my own powers, and I cannot find adequate words for expressing my conceptions. The instruction which the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Most Holy Lady, gave me. 525. My daughter, I wish to renovate in you the enlightened teaching which you have received in order that you may treat your spouse with the highest reverence. For humility and reverential fear should increase in the soul in the same measure in which a special and extraordinary favors are conferred upon it. On account of not being mindful of this truth, many souls either make themselves unworthy or incapable of great blessings, or if they receive them, grow into a dangerous rudeness and torpidity, which offends the Lord very much. The loving sweetness with which the Lord often treats them engenders in them a certain presumption and disrespectful forwardness, causing them to deal with His infinite majesty in an irreverent manner, and with a vain desire of searching and inquiring into those hidden ways of God which are far above their comprehension and capacity. 
They fall into this presumption because they judge of the familiar intercourse with God according to the imperfect insight of mortals, presuming to regulate it after the friendly intercourse of human creatures with one another. 526. But in this way of judging, the soul is much deceived, measuring the reverence and respect due to the infinite majesty by the familiarity and equality caused by the human love of mortals to one another. The rational creatures are by nature equal to each other, although the conditions and circumstances of each may be different. And the familiarity of human love and friendship may disregard the accidental differences in yielding to the human feelings. But the love of God must ever be mindful of the immeasurable excellence of the infinite being, since its object is both the infinite goodness and the infinite majesty of God, for just because the goodness and majesty in God are inseparable, Therefore also reverence must not be separated from love of God in the creature. The light of divine faith must always go before, manifesting to the one that loves the greatness of the object loved, awakening and fermenting reverential fear, restraining the exuberance of blind affections, and bridling them by the memory of the excellence and superiority of the Beloved. 527 if the creature is noble-hearted, practiced in and accustomed to holy and reverential fear, it is not in such danger of forgetting the respect due to the Most High, no matter how great the favors it receives. For it does not give itself up unguardedly to the spiritual delights and does not lose, on account of them, the discreet consciousness of the Supreme Majesty but it respects and reverences him in proportion to the greatness of his divine love and enlightenment. With such souls the Lord converses as one friend with another, Exodus 33:11. My daughter, let it therefore be to you an inviolable rule that the closer the embraces, and the greater the delights with which the Most High visits you, so much the more unremitting shall be the consciousness of his immutable and infinite majesty, extolling and loving him at one and the same time. In this wise consciousness you will learn to know and estimate more becomingly the greatness of his favors. You will avoid the dangerous presumption of those who lightly inquire into the secrets of the Lord at each trivial or even important event, imagining that his most wise providence should pay attention to, or regard the vain curiosity excited by some passion or disorder, or some human and reprehensible affection far removed from holy zeal and love. 528. Take notice of the cautiousness with which I proceeded in my duties, since as regards finding grace in the eyes of the Lord, a vast difference always remains between the efforts of other creatures and my own. Nevertheless, though I held in my arms God himself as his true mother, I never presumed to ask him to explain to me anything whatsoever by extraordinary revelation, neither for the sake of knowing it or for the sake of ridding myself of suffering, nor for any other merely human reason, for all this would have been human weakness and vain and vicious curiosity, which could find no room in me. 
Whenever necessity urged it upon me for the glory of His Majesty, or some circumstances made it unavoidable, I asked permission to propose my wishes. Although I always found him most favorable, ready to answer me with kindness and mercifully urging me to declare my wishes, I nevertheless humiliated myself to the dust and merely asked him to inform me of what was most pleasing and acceptable in his eyes. 529. Write this doctrine in your heart my daughter, and guard yourself against the disorderly and curious desire of searching into or knowing anything above the powers of the human intellect. For besides the fact that the Lord makes no response to such foolish inquiry, because it displeases him very much, remember that the demon is the real author of this fault in those who are in pursuit of a spiritual life. As he is ordinarily the author of such blameworthy inquiries, astutely promoting them in the soul, he also satisfies its curiosity by answering them himself at the same time assuming the appearance of an angel of light and thus deceiving the imperfect and the unwary, 2 Corinthians 12:14. When such inquisitiveness arises from one's own natural inclination, one must be equally careful not to follow or attend to it. For in what concerns such high matters as familiar intercourse with the Lord, one's own reason and judgment is not a safe guide, it being hampered by evil inclinations and passions. Our depraved and infected nature has been thrown into great disorder by sin, and is subject to much confusion and excess, making it unfit for guidance and direction in the high things of God. Equally wrong is it for the soul to rely on divine revelations in order to free itself from suffering and labor, for the spouses of Christ and his true servants must not seek his favors for the purpose of avoiding the cross, but in order to seek and bear it with the Lord, Matthew 16:24 patiently enduring the sufferings which his divine providence chooses to send. This course of action I desire you to maintain in humble fear, and rather to go to extremes in this regard so as to avoid so much the more securely the opposite fault. From now on I wish that you perfect all your motives and your undertakings by divine love, Philippians 1:9, as being the great end of all your undertakings. In this you need not observe degree or measure, on the contrary I wish you to create in yourself an excess of love, accompanied by so much of holy fear as will suffice to keep you from transgressing the law of the Most High, and to perform all your exterior and interior acts in rectitude. Be careful and diligent therein, even if it cost you much exertion and pain, for I have endured the same in the circumcision of my most holy Son, and for no other reason than because in his holy law this was manifested and intimated to me as the will of the Lord, whom we must in all things fully obey.